Hey everyone, welcome back to the Business Holics Podcast, a podcast where we talk about business, self-improvement, and economic issues. Today we're back at it with another month of Business Holics episodes, new month, new episodes. Anyway, this is episode 17, Growing Wealth, featuring Georgie Roikman, who's the founder of the Financialism Instagram page. He's got over 12,000 followers on Instagram at the moment. He builds generational wealth. He's got courses. He's a rapper, and he's got freebies. I, I listened to some of his songs. Uh, like one of them I know is Lazy Boy. It's a really good song. You should check it out, by the way. It's in our latest Instagram post. And anyway, this, I think, is our best episode yet. And I really do not say this often, according to popular belief. And anyway, let's get started into this episode. And I look forward to this month. So I hope you enjoy. Yeah, so I'm Georgie Roikman, like you said, founder of the Financialism page, a page on Instagram that I created to really motivate originally my friends. And then I started using hashtags like financial health, that free community, and it started reaching strangers. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm making an impact while I'm sitting on the toilet, popping a squat, and I'm helping people like learn how to invest. Okay, this is the 21st century. So I definitely wanted to be a part of like, being part of the wave that educates people about finances from a non-traditional approach because the traditional approach seems to target a certain type of person and that's why we see, we see wealth handed down from you know people who kind of old white and pale male old white male pale kind of looking like me but like 40 years from now and i was like you know let's let's diversify like the people who have access to this what if we target people who you know scroll through instagram first thing when they wake up okay, now they can learn about finances and investing and growing wealth. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people are kind of like deterred away from learning about financial health because there's a lot of like jargon that goes into it that they just don't understand. And they're just like, oh, I don't really want to learn about this. But, you know, I, I think that's like why people appreciate your page so much is because, you know, it breaks it down to like a person who's just like like me or you or Eric or Armani or somebody just like just like a common person. And it makes it so much easier for us to understand. Yeah, I I appreciate that. I think especially in the United States where we have so much privilege as, you know, like national privilege even, I think there's like a sociology experiment from the 90s that says the value of being a US citizen is worth at least $100,000. So just being born here, you kind of have this like huge privilege, especially when it comes to investing. So I'm definitely like all on board on getting the common person into growing wealth because it's very much possible. How did you start investing and like who kind of taught you and what was your motivation behind it? Yeah. So I taught myself everything about investing and I want to sound as modest as possible, but honestly, like it was all me. (laughs) I started in 2015 and I had this huge interest in just learning. Like I wanted to learn while I was on the road. So I went to college at UCLA and I actually went to Santa Monica College first, shout out to SMC. And then I went to UCLA. I transferred over there. But one thing that I had was a giant commute in LA traffic. So I was in LA traffic for two to three hours and I didn't want to waste that time. So instead of listening to the radio, Ryan Seacrest, shout out to Ryan Seacrest if he's listening. But <laughs> what I did was I made sure that I started learning. And at first it was science-based things like uh, 
uh, science of delusion really like excited me. And then I was like, you know what, how about something practical, like not just like dinner conversation or something like that, but something that could impact my life. So I typed in the word stocks podcast stocks, which is so cool what you're doing, because hopefully someone is commuting right now and they're listening to this and they're like, oh, my gosh, I just learned how to, I don't know, make at least one hundred thousand dollars more during my lifetime for literally 15 minutes of extra work. So that that's how I started podcast listening on the road. And that's why I'm so excited to be a part of this. So you basically just learned through listening to podcasts? Exactly. I started listening to podcasts. Step two was I downloaded a stock simulator, which has pros and cons because when you download a simulator, which essentially the old way of calling it was a paper trading. So you would just trade virtual stocks. Like it's not real. It doesn't actually represent the company, but it's real time. So it's the actual price in that moment. Uh, so that that's how I started with that. Um, actually, so I have a question. What advice do you wish you knew when you started? Because obviously you're very, I, I would say, advanced in this. Yeah. You know what? So what advice do you wish you knew when you started? So something that I wish I knew when I started was how easy it is. And I know like it kind of sounds like I'm selling something when I'm like investing is easy. Anyone can do it. But it really is so much easier than... I guess the industry branded it to be where it's like you need all of this extra help. What What is an ETF? What's an index fund? Diversification, options trading. And it's all these new words or words used in a new way. And I believe that's branding meant to scare you off and one, not taking advantage of like all of this free food that's in front of you. Like there is money on the table just waiting for you. And you have basically, I guess, insiders. And I'm not saying this is all propaganda or like a conspiracy to keep the normal person out of this but sometimes it really seems like that and at the end of the day it's so accessible that is what got me into this so heavily like how easy it is to invest takes four minutes 36 seconds to make an account most people listening to this at least listen to the first four minutes and 36 seconds and they could be making an investing account at the same time yeah no, I agree. I think that, um, you know, some of this vernacular makes like learning to invest daunting. So I think it's cool that you're kind of breaking it down for more people. <laughs> Thank you. Well, actually, couldn't it be a conspiracy? Like technically, because you can't have everyone having it, having like becoming rich and becoming financially free. Like a lot of people have to be stuck in that nine to five job in order for society to function. Right? Could be. I think that, um, it is a hypothesis, right? Like we all say, oh, the world will crumble if everyone has completely equal access to resources. I think that it depends what region you're in. I think that like, for example, capitalism in one part of the U.S. is looks very different from another part of the U.S. Even when it comes to communism, like Chinese communism is very different from Soviet communism, really different from Vietnamese communism. And there's sectors inside of all of these regions that it looks radically different. So maybe it'll work in some areas and it'll society will crumble completely in other areas. Like wall street probably can't be sustained because average people are just investing in the index. I feel like also do if more people are financially free besides just like becoming millionaires. I think that they'd all just, they'd also be like stress-free too. 
Yeah, I think financial health is tied to mental health. They go hand in hand, especially in a capitalistic nation, especially with capitalistic principles. Because I know that even though like the United States is capitalistic, like we have a lot of socialism here, like police, education, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of socialist aspects to this. But yeah, financial freedom is is key to mental freedom, I think. Yeah, uh, I also wanted to know, like, why, like, why did you start making, uh, like, different types of classes on things like stocks? And like, um, yeah, like, when did you start doing that? So for the longest part, I felt really bad actually sharing any of my numbers on the internet. And I felt really bad charging people for it. Because people kept coming up and they were like, hey, um, I saw you post a whole bunch of content. I would really love one-on-one coaching from you. How much do you charge? And I would always say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't do that. I could point you in the direction of someone that does do that. Because I did want all of my content to be 100% free. Obviously, that changed uh, starting January 11th when I first monetized my Instagram page. And the reason that I did it was because there were people willing to pay. Uh, And I don't have to sacrifice my values in order to get that type of uh, compensation. So one thing that I make sure that I do is I keep posting high quality content. In fact, I believe my content is becoming more high quality every single day as I'm really trying to attract the most amount of people and make sure the message changes and impacts the most amount of lives. And that is what makes people actually want to take a course or something like that so i always wanted to be a teacher and my mom was like you want to be a teacher how are you going to take care of me when i'm older what are you thinking and you know like kind of eastern european mentality and so i'm like you know what mom i'm a teacher on instagram now <laughs> so like that actually generated more income for me during the first month when i launched Uh, Then my nine to five, which is a behavior analyst. And that's decent money right there. Like, I'm not mad at my income, but I made double the amount through my courses on Instagram. And I just made sure that my courses like straight to the point. This is how stocks work. Uh, This is a couple different strategies of how you can uh, choose a wealth path for yourself. And it's something that I'm completely unashamed about i always like promote it one time someone was like man you talk about your course a lot and i'm like yeah because i'm proud of it like if you made something you're proud of like why wouldn't you talk about it why wouldn't you put a dollar sign on it in fact i think that i could have charged way more than i did but i wanted to be inclusive and every now and then i'm like okay 50 percent off for 24 hours who wants it and like that helps other people they're like hey thank you for doing that but Sometimes I get a message. It's like, I'm saving up for your course. Do you take monthly installments? And I'm like, no, I don't. Like, I don't want you creating a payment, like, option to pay for my course. The whole point is financial freedom. If you have to go in debt to buy a course that offers financial freedom, that is not the way. So what I did to a couple of people, I'm going to keep this low key, but I'm going to tell you guys, sometimes I give out free passes to my Zoom nights. It's not access to the actual course, but it is a Q&A session with me in a group environment. So I do do that. And another thing that I do is I create YouTube videos. I haven't done it in a while, but I have enough content where I feel like if you just go on YouTube and type in financialism, you will get everything you need. Now, I'm not going to be there to guide you like for your own personal story or anything like that, but 
it's enough content to get you started, to get you going. And if that motivates you, like if you like my video styles, like definitely buy my course. Hit me up, link in bio, financialism. <laughs> but at the end of the day, always I have something free that I can offer to everyone. And you're on TikTok too, right? That's right. So like I make videos on TikTok and that's a lot of fun, but it is a lot of work. And it's like 15 second video. How much work could that take? It could take hours to make a 15 second video. Sometimes, of course, like people say almost no labor. And that's true. Hasn't happened to me, but it is true. Like people do blow up overnight on these sites. And I think everyone listening in Whatever niche they're in, whatever their specialty, if you know about Pokemon cards, if you know about fruits, like if you're an expert in fruits and you know about that, make TikTok videos. Like it is a it is a lottery ticket for attention and attention can generate sales in the future. Yeah, like we've been aware of that and we, we've just had so much like we have such we, we've like thought about it, but we've had such a hard time because we don't know how to. You know, use a podcast on TikTok. Don't you have to, like, offer incentive? Like, I know your courses would offer incentive. Right. So I think part of it is really that traditional, like, guru advice is like, hey, you got something of value? Give it away for free. And that's kind of what I've been doing without really trying. Like, I was never thinking, okay, I'm going to give a year's worth of free content, and then I'm going to be greedy and take as much money as I I would never thought that way. The whole way it was – I want to make sure my posts are better than the top posts on Instagram. I want to make sure that I'm targeting people who have been left out consistently. Uh, I even make sure that my emojis represent that, like a woman stretching on a yoga mat, right? That's not who you typically target when you're making a financial post. You have a picture of, you know, one of the billionaires with his glasses, Warren Buffett. You know, he's a modest guy. But like at the end of the day, those are the images that people use to promote promote financial literacy. And I try to make sure that everyone is included. When it comes to TikTok, I think something that is incredibly important is just to humble yourself and know that your mission is not to get views and followers. Your mission is to create content that people's lives can change 15 seconds you have 15 seconds to talk to the world ready set go that's awesome yeah that's actually a really oh sorry go ahead Devin. oh you can go no i think that's a really cool um perspective just because i obviously i think and the rest of my generation sees tiktok as a really inclusive platform so i think the way that you're willing to kind of like spread the word on that platform is really cool. I appreciate that a whole lot. It takes a lot of labor to like create a 15 second clip that one, like sometimes no matter what you do, when you're talking about money, you're going to offend someone, you're going to hurt someone's feelings. And that's, you just have to accept that. Like you're going to make a post targeting 18 year olds and someone who's 60 is going to watch it and feel bad and feel left out. Or the opposite, you're going to do a post that's targeting older folks and 18 year olds are going to be like, okay, so why am I getting this? So like, you're never going to make everyone happy. And that's when you could reply to them in the comments, be like, Hey, I actually made a video just for you. Click my page and check it out. And yeah, I I can't even imagine like being a 60 year old on TikTok and then all these motivational vids come up and they're like, oh, it's not too late, (laughs) except they're like, they're 10 years retired. Yeah. And you know, on that, actually, I have uh, a woman who's in her 60s 
taking part of my investing course. And she's like, I'm just so fascinated with the stock market. And yeah, she wants to make as much money as possible uh, with, with her lifetime. But at the same time, she just wants to learn how it works. So people have different motivations for learning about the stock market. Like it's very interesting, right? Like you get this refraction of humanity in symbols and numbers on your screen. Like, how is that not sociology? That's awesome. We can learn so much about humanity by looking at these ticker symbols and their price changes. I think that's cool. I think it's also cool that, like, just with one viral video, like, like what you were saying before, like, just with one viral video, you can, like, change so many people's lives. And it can, it's, like, really random how it happens, too. Like, there's people in our school who've gotten, like, 100,000 views, a million views on a TikTok. And they're just, like, normal people. And, like, especially like, if you're doing something about that like let's say like about business or finance like that can have like that can reach a lot of people yeah yeah facts i think it's our responsibility like people who have some sort of joy for finance like first of all that's extremely rare second of all it is a superpower to be able to be fluent in the language of money because that's that's what the world speaks for the most part and then the world's not all humanity but like you know yeah. you know what i'm saying like a lot of the world speaks money. So like being fluent in this language, I think like people say like, you got to learn English, then you got to learn uh, Mandarin, then you got to learn Spanish. It's like, nah, first you got to learn how to speak money. Yeah. Then you can focus on everything else. <laughs> yeah. Cause actually, you... oh, oh yeah, you can go money. Actually it's kind of funny. Um, just going back to how you were talking about one of your, like audience members being 60 and starting to begin learning about the stock market because I have an anecdote myself. So my grandmother, she is, and this is a little side tangent, but she's almost 80 now. And she came to this country. It like she couldn't read English, couldn't speak English. Um, but after she kind of learned the basics, she started to become a day trader and she's still a day trader. And she honestly, it's, it's really cool. She gets invited to all of these like events in New York city. still. yo, Oh my and, gosh. Uh, yeah. And she's like super into day trading. She literally will come down from her room at like six 30, watch the news and go back upstairs. So I just thought that that was funny. That's phenomenal. That's awesome. I want to point out like Warren Buffett's 90 years old and he's studying stocks every single day. So like, when is it over? Never. Yeah. Especially like as a generation too, like we're really lucky to have like, uh, like platforms that you can learn so much on, uh, just by like swiping through for like, what's like five, 10 minutes in the morning. I got a really big advantage. Yeah. That's yeah, we could just wake up, take a video. Yeah, exactly. Course. That's that's the power of compound interest. Like we, we think about it in terms of investing, like get your money working for you and then you're sleeping. And then the money that you earned is also working for you. But that also works in the concept of time. Here's a story from uh, Joe Rogan. He had like a fitness coach on his page and he was talking about the way Russians train versus United States athletes. And I recognized they were talking about compound interest, but they didn't they didn't call it that. So the principles of investing can be used in our lives everywhere. The story was Russians, they don't work on one particular body part when they're working out at the gym. They target the whole body every day. So like 
if they do pull-ups, they do like 50 pull-ups every day. A person training in the United States, they'll maybe do 150 pull-ups and then rest for three days. At the end of the year, the Russian did way more pull-ups. So their body is way more used to doing pull-ups. And that's the power of compound interest. Hmm, so it's like you're making like gains on gains on gains on gains, basically. Facts, yeah. A little bit every day. Yeah, isn't that like the same connection towards like if you invest $240 a week, like from when you're 18 till you're 65, and you end up with like so much more money than someone who did it, like maybe even more amount of money. Exactly. I think like uh, a 50 year old has to invest something like $5,000 a month just to get to what an 18 year old investing like a couple hundred dollars a month did so it's extraordinary hard extraordinarily difficult to change your behaviors in such a radical way at age 50 to be able to invest five grand a month just to catch up to the 18 year old who started well they're no longer 18 but when they started they were 18 doing a couple hundred a month there's another way where say of investing is aversive to you well if you go hard from age 18 to 22 uh, and invest $6,000 every single year from 18 to 22 in a Roth IRA. So it grows tax-free. Uh, by the way, that's really important because that means that no matter what happens in the government, like say Bernie Sanders is president, he's like, all right, 100% taxes on all your investments uh, <laughs> You know, in your Roth IRA, you're protected from that. It does not matter. Uh, so when that 18-year-old is 65, they will have between 900000 and $1 million dollars without ever investing another penny, just those first four years. That is all they needed to have like that solid, like 900 to 1 million with very high probability. If it's just in the S and P 500 dividends, reinvested capital gains, reinvested. That's it. Four years of investing. You're done. How does a Roth IRA work? Like how does it grow? Yeah, uh, so a Roth IRA is an account type. And you can have this account um, usually when you're 18 plus, but there's ways to have it earlier. And one way to have it earlier is you're working while you're under the age of 18. So if you're under the age of 18, your parents can open a custodial Roth IRA for you. And it's just like a brokerage account, like with Robinhood or anything like that, Vanguard Fidelity, except it's growing tax-free and you could take out the profits at age 59 and a half. There's a couple ways around that, but for the most part, that's what it's intended to be used for. Um, so at age 59 and a half, you can have your retirement set up. A million dollars is pretty cool, and it's going to be worth a lot less when you're uh, 40 years from now or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, a million dollars was worth so much more 40 years ago. Imagine like back then you're like, oh, a million dollars, that's not going to be worth that much because of inflation. How many 60-year-olds wish they had a million dollars right now? I know at least one that's taking my course that wishes she <laughs> had that million right now. Shout out to her. She's awesome. I think it's also interesting. I remember like what you were saying about how you can only touch it when you're, I think like, yeah, 59 and a half, 60-year-old. Uh -huh. Is that only for a Roth IRA? Yeah, so that's that's the rule for a Roth IRA. There's a couple ways around that. Like uh, you could take up up to ten thousand dollars for your first home. If there's an emergency, like a medical concern, you could take that money out earlier. Um, you could take out your original contributions out early. So say you invest six thousand dollars and it grows to seven thousand, you can pull out six thousand. Like no problem, no penalties, no nothing. You just pull it out. That's the original contribution. Uh, but the problem with that is it might go down, right? You're investing. So 
my personal Roth IRA story is I invested the full $6,000 right before COVID. So it went up to 8000 and then it dropped to 4500 So I was like, oh my gosh, 45% or something wiped out in a week. So I obviously could not take out my six grand because it was no longer six grand. So I had to wait and I waited and, you know, it's back better than ever before. Uh, but if you did need that money for whatever reason, you could pull it out. You just can't pull out your profits. I think, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, yeah, you can go. Yeah, I think that happened to like, what'd you say? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think that happened to a lot of people during COVID. Like, I think personally, I think my dad lost wow. over $200,000 yeah. worth of stocks. Yeah, so he ended up. I think he waited like nine months, and he ended up gaining a hundred thousand dollars back. Yeah. He got like three hundred thousand and just waiting. I, so uh, part of that is like you don't know how long a crash lasts. Like typically, I believe it's about two years on average that a crash could last. So two years for a human is a long time to wait. Like people day trade, right? We got eighty year old grandmas day trading. They want results <laughs> now. If you're eighty years old and you you know you want results right away. T- telling you, hey, you got to wait two years. It's like, I'm 80 years old. You tell me to wait two years? It's going to be a long time. I'm selling my stocks right now. Uh, so kudos to your dad. I know my mom was yelling at me basically every single day. What are you doing still investing? Like the game's changed. It's over. Forget it. And I'm like, do you know how many times in human history that it was over? Yeah. Right. Every 10 years, there's a crisis. Every time there's a bear market, when stock growth slows down and there's a huge crash, it's an unprecedented event. And people like to throw that word around on the news. Unprecedented event. Stocks crash 30 percent. I'm like every single time stocks crash is an unprecedented event. We're used to this. Like this is normal. Like it happens. Yeah. Wait, did she say the same thing during the Great Recession? So oh, wait, the, the Great Re- Recession you're referring to 2008? Yeah, yeah so my mom actually started investing later in her life. She started in 2015 when I did because she had no idea how the stock market worked outside of her 401k contributions, which she never really looked at. So she didn't really feel 2008 when it comes to stocks, but she did lose her job during that time. And that was she was not thinking about stocks. When you lose your job, stocks is probably the last thing on your mind. Um, and that's the case for most people like living in the United States stocks is the last thing on their mind, but just reversing that mindset and like, Hey, no matter what I have to invest at least a dollar, at least a dollar that changes things. Cause when you see that dollar turn to a dollar 30, you're like, Oh my gosh, that's 30%. If that was a million dollars, I just made 300,000. Is this how the rich people stay rich? What? This is, I clicked a button. So that's that's mind altering. And that's what happened to her. Her mind was altered. She's like, I wish I knew this in my 20s. I wish I knew this when I got to the United States of America. But, you know, survival was on her mind. So it's very different. But people who are younger and, you know, your parents set you up and get you values and principles and, you know, some sort of starting point. Go ahead and start investing. Well, I think it's interesting that um, like 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 you were saying before, if you invested a dollar and then it grew into a dollar thirty that the rich can just invest a million. They'll grow into 300,000. Exactly. I think people need to start thinking in terms of percentages when it comes to uh, their investments instead of dollar amount. A lot of people are like, so how much did you make? And it's like, no, 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 no. It's how much percentage did you grow your account? That's the key. That's the formula. And eventually like even that formula stops working out because uh, side note, like it's always easy to like, turn a dollar into $2, like 
buying bags of chips at Costco and flipping it in your, at your schools, you guys could probably turn $20 into $40 in a week. That's 100% profit. And you can't do that with bigger money. Uh, it's, it's a lot tougher to move. So the more money you have, the tougher it is to move. But for the most part, when it comes to stocks, a million dollars is not that much. And if you can make a dollar go to a dollar thirty, you can make a million go to one point three million. Also, uh, what country did your mom come from? So she came from uh, the former Soviet Union. Uh, back when we moved, it was no longer called that, and it was basically in quotes like decolonized. But uh, definitely, the remnants of that still exist. So she came from a communist nation into this capitalistic world. So that's why, like you heard me earlier, like talking about communism, capitalism, because that's my background. That's where my family comes from—a radically different way of looking at the way things have to work with money, the way wealth works. Um, financially, do you feel like that was a, or did she tell you some sort of culture shock? Yeah, so she was so focused on actually having food and shelter that those grand scheme things did not, like, affect her at all. Like, it did not impact her. It's like, oh, okay, so people could flip money, could flip, like, uh, Pokemon cards here, or they could flip jeans or whatever, and you don't go to jail? Cool. I need to find food. What jobs make the most amount of money? Uh, so, yeah, like, in Russia back then, you would actually go to jail if you were flipping items. I think I heard something like that before, too, with somebody else that I was watching online that came from Russia. Yeah, it's pretty pretty wild. Like, having jeans was so rare that, like, if you had jeans on, you were probably associated with, like, the mafia or something. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then I know you also mentioned before that you like Pokemon cards. I love Pokemon cards. I'm actually, while I'm talking to you guys, I'm looking at uh, three Pikachu cards that I just got. And, uh, hey. yeah, <laughs> so yeah, Pokemon is, uh, huge. It's always been huge since it came out. Actually, there were a couple waves and I am, I'm waiting eagerly for the sociological impact of a Pokemon market crash and people are like, a oh, collectibles only go up, but that's not true. Like it's like the stock market. There are huge swings that happen in a uh, collectibles market. So Pokemon, it, it had swings before it had uh, like 75% crashes that everyone forgot about, but I have a feeling like that can happen again. Did you ever sell any of your cards to make money? Uh, only when I was active playing Yu-Gi-Oh. So when I was playing Yu-Gi-Oh and I was at a tournament between matches i would like try to trade for like what i thought was value for me and then i would go on ebay and i would sell those cards and that's actually what motivated me to learn even more about the stock market because it's basically an easier way of doing that with much more money uh one of my first investments was 300 dollars into a Yu-Gi-Oh card that i thought was going to go up because i played the game i could be like this card is so unique that when you play it, players are not used to it. It's only $9. It's ultra rare. It's kind of difficult to get from this booster pack. Like you probably have to buy, I don't know, like 40 packs to have a chance of getting one. I think $9 is too cheap. So I bought like as many as I could with $300. And then I sold them for $30 each, which was a big come up. Yeah, I think uh, I think I remember back in third grade, I sold my limited edition seventy dollar white Chiron Pokemon. Oh snap! Oh no! <laughs> oh no! They got you. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I thought I was yeah. on the winning end that, of that. That's how like trades are supposed to feel. Like both people are supposed to feel like they're winning. Same thing with stocks, right? Like if you're buying a stock, someone is selling it to you. They feel like a winner. You feel like a winner. And that's essentially how capitalism should work. Like if you have a nation full of salt and another nation full of sugar, right? And you trade, both nations feel like I just ripped that person off. That's how it should be like. But, you know, evolution and uh, – Things change throughout time. Also, I was on Instagram the other day and I saw this post by Warren. Well, it wasn't by Warren Buffett, but it was like one of his dedications like, of yeah. advice. Yeah, like one of his pieces of advice for investing. And he said the number one, or like not the number, you know what I mean? Like they they always use number one, but yeah. uh, he said one of his top pieces of advice was just not to lose money because yeah. let's say you lose like ninety percent, then you have to make like nine hundred percent back just to break even, because mm. then the amount of money that you have is a lot smaller. That's one. Right. I was wondering if you could like just like reflect on that. Yeah. So I wonder. I wonder what he meant in context of that because Warren Buffett definitely did sell stocks at a loss. And there's two ways to think about that: is like one, never sell stocks at a loss. But two, just because a stock goes down doesn't mean that you lost money, right? You have to sell it. And that 90% example that happened to me. I invested seven thousand dollars into this company called Overstock. And it fell from $58 all the way to $2.50. That's a 90-plus percent like decrease. So what did I do? I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and it actually went up like 4,000% since uh, the bottom of uh, COVID uh, in February – in March of 2020. It actually, within eight months, went from $2 to 128 and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, my 7K turned into $650, and now it went up to 20000 because I waited with a company that I believed in. And I did sell some shares. I secured some profits. But the original amount of money is still invested. So now if it goes to zero, I still have my profits. And it's in index funds and other stocks. And that's a cool strategy. Yeah, I don't think it even has a name, that strategy. I named it Spoiling. Because you spoil yourself with like the rewards, but also you spoil buying and holding, which is like one of the best investing principles. So yeah, when it comes to not losing money, the way that I look at that is when the value or the perceived value or rather price of your investments goes down, don't sell it if nothing changed or don't sell it because something changed too. For example, Overstock had a completely radical transformation. Their CEO was basically let go because he had a love affair with a Russian FBI with a Russian spy and the FBI was watching him. So he left and the company had a complete restructuring, new CEOs, new leadership team, and it was basically forced. So people sold their shares. I actually bought a couple extra shares and it turned out really, really well because I believe that they had all the tools to succeed, especially in a COVID economy and especially with them investing in blockchain technologies. I did look at Zoom, but what was more fascinating to me was the other Zoom. So there was like a side stock that was like called Zoom and it skyrocketed more than the actual Zoom because people thought that it was Zoom. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yeah, so you never know. You never know why something will go up. Does it not say like Zoom, like video conferencing or something like that? So I, I don't even remember, but it was just 
the ticker symbol was so similar, started with a Z, it said Zoom, so why not? And actually, like, yeah, we're laughing at that, but that happened to me, not with Zoom, but with another company when I was starting out. I wanted to invest in theme parks. I was like, theme parks, I love theme parks. Let me invest in Universal Studios. So I typed in Universal, and this company popped up Universal. I put my money into it. It went up 20%, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to sell this. So back then, I would sell stocks because I didn't know any better. I didn't know how powerful buying and holding something is for the long term is. So I sold it. And then I was like, hold on a second. Why does it say its headquarters is in Virginia? And I was like, that makes no sense. So I looked closer at this company, Universal. And I was like, tobacco? (laughs) I invested in tobacco? I thought I invested in a theme park. Turns out if you want to own Universal Studios or like pieces of Universal Studios, you have to invest in a a, a name slipped my mind. Uh, Lost it. Starts with a C. And I have shares from it. It's a broadcasting company. Comcast. Comcast. There it is. Thank you. Yep. Comcast owns uh, Universal. So that's one way to be exposed uh, somewhat to it. And that's part of their revenue. So that's pretty cool. Is there a Universal in Virginia? I don't think so. I didn't know that. Yeah, there is. There's a Universal Studios in Virginia. Hold on, I'm about uh, yeah, to look yeah, it yeah. up. A I need to fact check right. that. That sounds really interesting. Virginia. And it's okay. That's a hilarious uh, no way. coincidence. That's a, wow. Universal Studios locations. Film in industry dream amusement park at Universal Williamsburg Resort. And you, Williams- you see <laughs> it? Are you serious? Okay. Well, I definitely did not invest in yeah. Universal when I invested in Universal stock. It was a tobacco company. That's crazy. That, that is hilarious that, that it's like that. Wow. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> uh, Universal is awesome. I actually live like literally half a mile away from Universal. I used to go there like every day after school. Oh, that's nice. That's yeah. crazy. That's how we are with Six Flags. Yeah. Yo, I have a Six Flags. I actually just bought Six Flags stocks uh, to be like uh, open here. Yeah, I bought some stocks. Uh, completely speculation though, but I am planning to hold them for a number of years. And I bought them because they were unusually low because of the virus and because they're closed. And obviously, I don't think Six Flags is going anywhere in the next decade. So I definitely sniped on that because it was healing much slower than the S&P 500, the top 500 companies. So sometimes I buy companies because they have a history of being on par with the S&P for at least like a couple of decades. And that's the case with uh, Six Flags. It was usually doing okay, uh, especially the last like uh, half a decade or so, which isn't that long uh, when it comes to like stock prices. But it was unusual because its business is so heavily impacted by COVID that I went ahead and I took a risk and I put some money into it. And uh, as we know now, they are opening a couple of parks and letting more people in. They did say there's no screaming allowed. So that'll that'll be something. Uh, I don't know if that's completely true, but yeah, no screaming allowed. Yeah, I don't understand how amusement parks like Six Flags, how they're still standing when, like, if you buy a season pass there, it's it's literally the same price as a one-day admission. So Yeah, I think part pass? of that is a marketing tactic where now they want you to buy the pass. So when you go there, you're paying $20 for parking, and you're probably buying, like, 
five dollars of food and spending forty dollars on it. Yeah, I don't understand how amusement parks like Six Flags how they're still standing when like if you buy a season pass there, it's it's literally the same price as a one day admission. So yeah, I think part pass? of that is a marketing tactic where. Now they want you to buy the pass. So when you go there, you're paying $20 for parking and you're probably buying like $5 of food and spending $40 on it. Yeah, well, Six Flags already has a meal plan and they have a parking plan. Oh my gosh. Well, they do have to make money somehow. But the other thing is most people do not go enough to get their money's worth. Same thing with gyms. Mm -hmm. If everyone went to the gym, it would be at like 20 times capacity. They expect like 10% of their customers to actually show up a second time. No, like, I don't know. It depends on the gym though, because if you're going to the YMCA, yeah, that's understandable. But if you're going to country, maybe, maybe I know LA fitness, like if everyone showed up to LA fitness who actually has a membership, there would be like a mile long line outside. That's never the case because people buy those passes hoping that spending money will motivate them to get their behavior right, but never works out. Never works out. Yeah, like Planet Fitness. Right? Uh, like those like yeah. gyms after New Year's and investing yeah, too. Investing is one of those things. So like when it comes to even podcasts, like piling up all of these like investing things, like change your life now. And yeah, sure, you're advertising and you're capitalizing off the momentum, but it is true. You don't have to wait till New Year's, but most people do. For some reason, January 1st means, okay, time to work out for a week and time to invest and open up a Roth IRA. And I'm not shaming anyone who waits for – I'm shaming everyone who waits for New Year's. That is messed up. Like what are you doing? Why is society telling you, hey, on this day, that's when you could start your goal? That is messed up. Like what the heck? No, you start today. <laughs> I heard um going back to what we said about Six Flags and like the passes and everything. I think I heard somewhere that like Costco was like selling its hot dogs at a loss because like the price is still like a dollar something. And I think they were selling them at a loss, but then the average person when they come to Costco spends like a hundred bucks anyways. Facts. So they're making that all back, and that it, like it just motivates customers to come. Facts, yeah. I think there's like a famous TikTok about Costco chicken. Like it's five dollars, and people are like that's value. By the time they get to the chicken, their shopping cart is so full that like they bought all this stuff that they didn't think they were gonna buy. Costco knows what it's doing. And disclaimer: yeah. I do invest in Costco, and it was one of the few companies that did not drop significantly during the pandemic. It did not skyrocket either. It kind of stood where it's at. I thought which it would very have skyrocketed. Same. Probably Same, I, like a little bit because I know there's like restrictions on it, but mm, you know, I would have yeah. They also paid out a special dividend, which is uh, they gave ten dollars to everyone who owned a share of Costco for every share of Costco, which was really cool. Sometimes companies like surprise their shareholders with like gifts like that. Overstock, the company I mentioned earlier, they gave me one share of Overstock for every ten shares that I had, which is basically a ten percent dividend out of nowhere. Like what? So yeah, that that's the perks of sometimes holding companies as well for a long time. They're uh, they surprise their shareholders. Yeah, like I can't even imagine how much Costco is like making in terms of revenue because, like, I know when my oh. when my family goes to Delaware because there's no tax there. Like they spend like two thousand dollars worth of stuff. Like I in mm-hmm. California, like the the taxes are what like ten percent sales tax, something like that now. 
yeah it's pretty wild like people do take advantage and airlines like they make money off of that too with their like duty free stores where there's no taxes people really get hype off that so like it's like a 10 percent sale for californians at all times but uh especially californians need to be investing because uh we pay the most (laughs) yeah in new jersey too the taxes are pretty bad oh man i don't even pay taxes Oh my gosh. Yeah. I had friends who actually moved from Jersey to Florida. Just uh, instead of looking for a higher paying job, they just went to a lower cost city. And that's another strategy. Like, and that takes dedication. Like you really need to have your goals lined up to be able to do something like that. And that goes a long way. Like, sure. It's like decreased spending or increased income, but no one thinks that moving can be part of decreasing your spending. Yeah, like, I think it's crazy. Like, if you have a 62% tax on your annual salary and you're making 400 k a year, you walk away yeah, with less than $200,000. Yeah, it's like pretty messed insane. up. It's pretty messed up. I think, isn't that why, like, Texas, uh, yeah, like, companies are moving to Texas. Like, I think t- Elon Musk went to Texas because there's no income tax over there. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that that's definitely, like, a big, big uh, situation that, that's going on with uh, people leaving, like, places like California. But at the same time, like... Uh, at the same time, I think the real ones are going to stay because California is the best. Shout out to California. Uh, <laughs> and I kind of find it a little bit sad that people are leaving because uh, we need all the best brains. And like these laws are really like pushing them away. But at the same time, th- there's definitely merit on both sides of the argument. I do believe that. But it- it- it's sad what's happening. Like too many people are leaving and the homeless crisis in California is just incredible. Yeah. Yeah, like I heard the governor of New York is like begging JetBlue to stay mm. like their headquarters in New yeah, York. Yeah, it gets Miami it gets Miami. like that. And that's the way that money runs the world in so many ways. I mean, not the whole world, but it definitely impacts a lot of it. And that's jobs and that's livelihoods. That's really what, what this is about. And that's why like I'm such an advocate of like, you need to be investing because you never know when Elon Musk is going to move and you're going to lose your job. Unless you move with him. Yeah, it's like really such a big factor because if you like think about what happened during the Britain stagflation of the 1970s, like it's happening all over again, but in America. Yeah, you have these like uh, even like migration cycles in the past, like when when during during the end of slavery, when it was supposedly called the golden era, like a lot of people who were now newly freed, they were going into places like Chicago and stuff because there was opportunity there. And so like, I don't think that'll ever stop. I think that that's what we were talking about earlier. Like you were mentioning, uh, Hey, wouldn't like if everyone was building wealth and growing it, wouldn't that ruin things for everyone? And I said, I think regionally, Right. So regionally, some places might flourish way more. Others might be completely destroyed. So we just went full circle uh, with like what this migration does, because definitely pros and cons. Also, I was looking at your Instagram page and you have a a rap music playlist called Bad Investment. Hey, yeah. So I I also rap and I I have like a lot of uh, (laughs) tracks about stocks and like investing. I have one that's called Bad Investment. That one's a. I love that one. I stole the beat, so I can't profit off of it. But, you know, got to gotta buy my tracks the frugal way, just stealing off YouTube. But <laughs> the other one I released is called Lazy Boy, which is, like, available everywhere, like Spotify, iTunes, Apple. Uh, iTunes is Apple. 
uh, I glitched for a second, but <laughs> at the end of the day, like that song is about doing the least amount of work to get the most amount of gain. I think like that inspires me to invest. So like whenever I'm about to buy stocks, I played lazy boy and I'm like, Oh, I'm a lazy boy. All my money working for me. And like that, that, that's how I start. <laughs> you gotta sing. You gotta rap. A verse right now. No, yeah, I'm, I'm, not gonna, right I'm, now. Not gonna spit, I'm not going to spit a verse right now. Yeah, Let me really see if I can remember game. one of my verses. Let's see. Probably not. I'm going to embarrass myself. Hold <laughs> on. Money in the bank doesn't mean a thing. Inflation rate, that's a meaner thing. Got my math. Nope. Lost it. Lost it. Lost it. Right, somewhere in me. It's somewhere in me. Let me try one <laughs> more time. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You use? Oh, yeah. Go, go, go. Let me see. Let me see. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Money in the bank doesn't mean a thing. Inflation rate, that's a meaner thing. Nope. Lost it. Don't remember past third line. That's my thing. I don't invest in memorizing my songs because, hey, I'm not performing anyways. If it does well on Spotify, it does well on Spotify. And if it does well, <laughs> then I memorize it. <laughs> yeah. I don't I have a single song, memorize period, memorized by anyone. Like, even Happy Birthday, that middle part where you say the person's name, every time I miss it. <laughs> Which That's beat did you use for for bad investment? Yeah, I just stole some popular trap beat, and uh, yeah, I just went off that. So <laughs> <laughs> some guy in Russia owns it, but I know my song is way better than his. <laughs> it's better on your. It's better on your song. Way better, way better. And uh, for lazy, lazy boy, I actually have a producer who I met on MySpace in two thousand and eight, and we've been talking ever since then. And he was like, "Yo." I heard your raps. I think they're fire. So how about this? I'm going to send you my beat, and you just rap over it, and we'll split any profit 50-50. Like, if it blows up, it blows up. But actually, to generate profit off music, you have to invest in it like stocks. It's seriously like it is a buy-for-play game, and it's really buy-for-exposure. So if you have a good song and you're investing $200 a month in it, it will turn into passive income. That's like a whole other like topic. Uh, a little bit off uh, like stocks and stuff. But like I have friends who instead of investing 300 a month into, into the S&P 500, they invest that much a month into Spotify ads and they do get passive income and they break at least even. And then after that point, it's all profit and they get to sell merch on top of that and do shows, which is profit. I don't understand how those like Spotify ads are doing like so much good because like they just really piss me off. Like I'm working out and then I'm in like the middle of my last rep and then some yeah, I think uh, I can't get the last rep up. I think like when it comes down to it, the ads aren't necessarily always on Spotify. So like you could have your ad on Instagram. When I meant Spotify ad, I meant ad to funnel people to your Spotify. Actually, Facebook is one of the best places for. Man, there's this guy, this rapper. He really bugs me, but like he does his marketing so well. I don't even want to promote him at all. But his name is Tom McDonald, and he is so cringy, but like he is a master marketer. He's like, he's basically the type who's like all lives matter, that type of stuff, right? And he like basically pitches it to the conservative crowd. And when hip hop does that, it's always a little cringy, but like, he does a great job at what he does. And he I saw him. I actually DM'd him one time. We had a back and forth. We were about to hang out. And then he blew up. So maybe I'm I'm a little bit mad. But <laughs> <laughs> no, he's actually he's really talented in what he does. I do appreciate like his work ethic. He he's completely independent. His raps are okay. Like the, the bars are there, 
I just don't like like what he's saying all at all times. And that's kind of the point. It's made to make people like me angry and give him views and then type in the comments. Like he's smart. He's really smart. <laughs> the help out the algorithm. Exactly. Big, but you've been rapping for a while and MySpace, I was like three. <laughs> yeah. So MySpace back then, um, what I tried to do was um, I, I wasn't using it for rapping. I was just like using it to promote this other band called Hollywood Undead. I don't know if you guys know them, but back then they were just starting out. They were actually the first band to blow up through MySpace. And that basically changed the game of music marketing. And my friend and I, we loved them so much that we ended up, uh, what did we end up doing? We ended up making a fan page for them. And we actually got like 20,000 views on YouTube for a fan made video that we made for them. And so like 12 years later, he's like, why don't we do this for ourselves? And I was like, I like to rap. Let's do this. I actually started rapping in 2015. I was so offbeat. I knew nothing that was happening with uh, rap music or anything like that. Uh, sorry, no, that's not what I meant to say. I don't know where that came from. Uh, someone like took over my mind for a second. I, I knew everything about rap. Like I was studying raps. Like I was studying stocks. I was studying rappers. Like people like St. John in 2015 were just starting out like their public life. And today they won Grammys. There was another rapper, 070 Shake, and that was starting in 2015. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to blow up. And today she has uh, two songs with Kid Cudi and Kanye West on Kanye West's latest album. So like there's something about like finding musicians, you know, that effect, like people like, oh my gosh, I remember them before they were famous. I found them first. That excitement. Well, with stocks, you actually make money off of that same behavior. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. Like, if I caught a stock early and, like, it blew up. Like, imagine, like, the feeling if you caught Amazon early, like, let's say in, like, 2002, and you just deposited, like, let's say, like, $1,000 into it and you just held on to it. Imagine how yeah. great that would feel. Exactly. Exactly. But part of that, Amazon, is if you did buy it in, like, 98, you had to survive a 90% crash. Yeah. So, like, it fell from $111 all the way to $11. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really, really sad. And most people did not hold Amazon after a 90% crash. That's true, yeah. It's really risky. Yeah, it would feel really risky after that to do that. But Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it was really, really sad. eBay crashed 75%. Most people did not hold these companies. And that's why like, you're a winner if you're able to hold through these giant crashes where your favorite companies are actually losing most of their price. Yeah. Do they, like GameStop? People um, I think are, a few you know, of them really stock? are, but I know people who jumped on on the bandwagon and they were like, "Yeah, this is a revolution against Wall Street." I sold my stocks, and it's like, "Wow!" And you know, they went and I don't. I think that's part of marketing. Like, this is a revolution <laughs> against Wall Street, and certainly some people did feel that. Uh, but I don't think. I think most of that was just the way it was marketed. Like, this is a revolution against Wall Street. We're finally claiming our money back. But, no, nah, it's 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 pretty sad the way that people were, like, I'm jumping in. And then they were all wrecked. I think most people got smashed really, really, really bad when it comes to, like, what happened with GameStop. A few people who were, like, early enough, they definitely profited. Uh, a, a lot more people profited than usual. But I know people who who just, like, went in. They thought it was free money, and they got burnt out. Who is that? Oh yeah, you know Jimmy Oyang? Maybe. He's like uh he's like this Asian comedian. Yeah, so he like moved here from Oh, Hong Kong, you know he what? Like, learned English I, by watching like I might videos. 
I might know. Who was it? Rich He's Brian wrong. did that. Yeah, he said he was learning English like watching rap videos. Really? Who? Who? Luke Bryan? Rich Bryan. You know, Rich Bryan? Yeah, you know Rich Bryan? He, ch- he no. changed his name. I don't know if I'm allowed to say what his old name was. Let's you, see. You know Rich Bryan? He's like a really big rapper. No. <laughs> because uh, he's Indonesian rapper. Rich Bryan. No, I've never heard of him. Are you serious? No, I've never heard of him. Oh, my. I've never Wow. Oh, man. He blew up in like 2016. So you guys were definitely alive. Yeah. In 2016, I was listening to like Fetty Wap. He was probably listening to Rich Brian being like, this guy's about to blow up. He probably has a video where he watched one of Rich Brian's videos. It was like a meme. Like they would get rappers in a room and they would watch Rich Brian's videos and be like, yo, is this guy hard or is he like soft? And uh, he, he turned out to be embraced by the culture. Post Malone and him like are close like 21 savage probably has a track with him like he's huge oh wow all right now i gotta listen to him oh the only oh, thing i remember that was really popular. black beetles that was the mannequin challenge yeah oh i remember that wow damn that was a while ago well no it's rich brian oh, born that, in Indonesia. Like yeah i think you guys, i think yeah. you guys are looking at different oh, yeah, rich yeah, looking at the wrong person <laughs> You just internet stalked the wrong dude. <laughs> I just searched up Rich Brian and it said Indonesian rapper. So I was like, yeah, I got the right person. From Jakarta, Indonesia. He's 21. Who are your favorite rappers? My favorite rappers? Um, it changes every single week. So like every week I'm studying someone new. I was really like rappers that I got stuck on for a long time was Schoolboy Q, ASAP Ferg. Um, I got stuck on ASAP Rocky too, but more for like his come up. G Easy has a phenomenal like three part lecture series and you could track him through his fame. He goes back to his uh, music school and he talks about like how he actually came up at different points in his career. And that is like the most cleanest interview from like someone who made it like their honest journey to fame without any filler talking with his favorite professor. I think you guys would all love watching like Jeezy talk about that. Cause that's all about business. He was saying like in college, he had to create a project, like a hypothetical project of how he could generate mu- money off of music. And he's like, how about I just make it real. And he went out and he did it. He actually traveled to comic stores to like uh, anywhere like skate shops and things like that. And he would promote his music and he would not leave until they played his songs in the stores. And that's how he first started. And that's a very beautiful thing. I think I remembered my verse. I, I wrote it out right now. Are you ready? I'm going to wrap it for you. Let's go. All right. All right. No beat. I'll just go up a cappella. Maybe you guys can yeah. play a beat on top of it later. All right. Money in the bank doesn't mean a thing. Inflation rate, that's a meaner thing. Got my master's, passed my classes, started life like amino acids. I buy stocks, I invest in assets. It's not hard, anyone can grasp it. I got cash and it's everlasting. Got the mic, I'm going to never pass it. That's it. <laughs> that was hard. All right. That was hard. I appreciate it. Yeah, you guys need to listen to... Awesome. To all my songs, I got Lazy Boy and Bat. That's all. I got two songs. The bars were hard. That was clean. I liked it. I appreciate that. Yeah, rap. <laughs> I, I love rap. I, I studied it like hard. I, I studied it like school. Like it was so important to me and it still is. It is a never ending puzzle. And that's why I love it so much. It's a lot like investing, a never ending puzzle where you could be an 80 year old grandma still learning. <laughs> Same thing with, with, with rap. It's a, it's a word puzzle that never stops.
Yeah, so thank you again, Georgie, for coming in. This was a really great episode. I think it's our best episode yet. Like, honestly, I don't really say this that often, but I, I think this is something our listeners are going to really enjoy. So thank you again for coming in. You brought a lot of advice. You got some really great stories. And for everyone out there listening, I, I hope you had a, a great time listening to this episode. This is episode 17 wrapped up. And next week we're releasing episodes 18 and 19 which are going to be on the economy understood and entrepreneurship as a woman so i hope you enjoy those coming out next weekend this is us signing off thank you again for listening